0: of heights to the depths of the sea
1: And so notice they formed a conspiracy verse 19 against him this sounds awfully like uh, his father who they they plotted against him and killed Amaziah's father now they're going to do the same thing to him They formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish. They killed him there. And this Lachish is roughly 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem.
0: Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. They formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem. The embarrassing loss against Israel undermined Amaziah's support among the leaders of Judah. Amaziah tried but was unable to escape the conspirators by fleeing to Lachish, Lachish was the first of the cities of Judah to adopt the idolatries of the kingdom of Israel, so it was natural for the idolatrous Amaziah to seek an asylum there. Unfortunately for him, he could not hide from his assassins. In the end, he was assassinated like his father. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes chapter 14 in the book of Second Kings.
1: Amazon, yeah, you went down there and slaughtered them, and your heart has lifted you up. Glory in it. Have a party. Have a nice meal together. Drink and have a little fun because of this little victory that you have. But glory in that and stay home. For why should you meddle with us and trouble yourself so that you fall? You and Judah with you. But Amaziah would not heed. Notice it doesn't say that he could not. He would not heed. Therefore Jehoash king of Israel went out. So he and Amaziah king of Judah faced one another at Beth Shemesh which belongs to Judah. And notice that it, again it's a matter of the will. Amaziah was stubborn and it's going to cost him. And... Um, Our will can be a dangerous thing like that if it's not submitted to God. That is why the model prayer, remember the model prayer that Jesus shared with us? What was it? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, my will be done. It's not what it says. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's not that he could not, he would not. Amaziah would not heed it's not that he couldn't, he would not. It was the act of the will, and that's a dangerous thing. Didn't Jesus even say in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, Father, if it, if, it be, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. So if the Son of God is submitting himself to the will of the Father, I think it'd probably be a good idea that we do the same. What do you think? Yeah, it's good for us to submit our hearts to God, Right? Our will needs to be broken. And when I came to Christ, God had to break my will. And by the way, he's still breaking me, just like he's doing you. He's breaking us like that, old, that Mustang that's running wild out in Wyoming. And you finally catch that Mustang, and it has to be broken. It has to be trained and tamed so that it can be ridden, that you can put a saddle on it, and that you can ride the horse. That takes time, and it is a rough mess if you have ever done that. I've never done that. But I've heard of people who do, and it's not an easy thing to break the will of the Mustang, the wild horse. And you and I, when we're born, we're like that Mustang. And God has to break our will. And happy is the man whose will is broken early. Instead of going obstinate and being your own thing and doing your own things. So Judah, verse 12, was defeated by Israel, and rightly so. And every man fled to his tent. And then Joash, king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah. I, I, I think I've already read this. Uh, but he, he went to battle, and he captured him at Beth Shemesh. This place called Beth Shemesh is approximately 50 to 20 miles due west of Jerusalem. So right above the Dead Sea, if you're looking at a map, the Dead Sea is like this. And right near the top, of the, the north part of that, if you go straight over, you'll run into Jerusalem. And if you go 10 or 15 miles even further west, you're going to run into this place called Beth Shemesh. And that's where this battle occurred. And, and it says that after he had done that, he captured Am, uh, uh, Amaziah. He didn't kill him. Joash could have killed this Judean king. He didn't kill him. He took him captive. And then he goes back to Jerusalem and breaks down the wall uh, specifically from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, about 400 cubits or 600 feet of the wall of Jerusalem. And this is the uh, wall that's on the north side. These two gates that are mentioned are on the north, uh, northwest and north side of the temple area itself with all of its gates around it, the north and the northwest corner of that is where um, he broke this uh, all down. And notice verse 14, he took all the gold, all the silver, the articles of gold found in the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king house, king's house and the rest of the acts of Jehoash, which he did as might and everything. Aren't they written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And so Jehoash, the king of Israel, didn't kill Amaziah. So, verse 16, so Jehoash rested with his fathers, meaning he died, and was buried in Samaria, which was the capital of the northern tribe, the northern kingdom, with the kings of Israel. And notice, then Jeroboam, his son, reigned in his place. Don't you find it interesting that Jehoash called his son's name Jeroboam? We call this man Jeroboam II, because Jeroboam I was the one who started this whole thing. Remember when the kingdom split after Solomon? The northern tribe uh, went to Jeroboam, and the southern tribe went to Rehoboam. That's when the monarchy split, and now it became a divided kingdom. But that first king after Solomon was Jeroboam. And now, a few hundred years later, this king, Jehoash of Israel, knowing very well who Jeroboam was, he names his son Jeroboam. Historians call him Jeroboam too, just to differentiate him. It's you know They were about 137 years apart, the Jeroboam who was the progenitor of that kingdom to this Jeroboam. So verse 17, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Jehoash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. And now the rest of the acts of Amaziah, are they not written in the chronicles of the kings of Judah? Yes, actually they are, and we just read it just a few minutes ago in Second Chronicles chapter 25. And so, notice, they formed a conspiracy, verse 19, against him. This sounds awfully like uh, his father, who they, they plotted against him and killed Amaziah's father. Now they're going to do the same thing to him. They formed a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish. But they sent after him to Lachish. They killed him there. And this Lachish is roughly 30 miles southwest of Jerusalem in the land of what you and I would call the land of the Philistines, more toward the Mediterranean, um, approximately 25 miles east of Gaza. So that's roughly the place that it is. And then they brought him on horses after they killed him. And they brought him, and he was buried in, at Jerusalem with his fathers in the city of David. And all the people of Judah now took Azariah. Azariah, whose name is called, he's also known by another name, Uzziah. Does that ring a bell with anybody? Anybody read uh, Isaiah chapter 6? Uzziah. Check that out when you get a chance, Uzziah. But that's his name. But his real name was Azariah. And he was 16 years old and made, uh, was made king instead of his father, Amaziah. Azariah, or Uzziah, reigned from 790 to 739, a total of 52 years. And he was actually um, co-regent with his father for about 23 of those years. And he built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his father. Elath, or Elath, is... Uh, that place, you remember the Sinai Peninsula? There's like the, the Red Sea. If you're looking at a map, the Red Sea goes like this, and then you've got the Gulf of Suez going up on the left side, and then on the other side, the Gulf of Acaba, and then you've got the Sinai Peninsula right there in the center. Well, this place is right at the very north end of the Gulf of Aqaba. It's called Elot. And back in First um, Kings 9, remember Solomon had made ships, um, uh, there at the port in Elat, and he would use that to not only import goods from all over the world, but he would also use it as a place to export goods to other places of the world. And so now uh, this man, um, Azariah, or Uzziah, he restores that. And it tells us in verse 23 now, In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria and reigned 41 years. (laughs) So this is Jeroboam II, reigning from 793 to 753, a total of 41 years. This was the longest reigning king of anybody in Israel in the northern ten tribes. He was the longest reigning king. And during his reign... Um, prophets uh, Jonah and Amos and Hosea would prophesy during this man's reign. That's one way to think about it. So when you read Jonah or you read Hosea and you read Amos, these men were all contemporary with this particular king. And notice what it says about him. Really great things. He was a great fellow. No, what does it say? He did evil in the sight of the Lord. With a name like Jeroboam, there's only one way to go and that's down. He could have gone up, but his father named him Jeroboam, and he continued with his own ways and did evil. He did evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. So now we know who the difference of the kings, right? Jeroboam of Nebat or Jeroboam II of, you know, uh, Jehoash. Spiritually, this man was a disaster, but one thing he did have going for him was his political and military might that's one thing that he had for him and God would nonetheless even with his horrible, horrible idolatry God would use this man again, the grace of God to restore to Israel the land that their enemies had taken now, did Jeroboam and the people of Israel deserve that? I don't know, did he? did they deserve it? Did they deserve to be rescued for God? And, and, and think about this. Even an ungodly man who reigned for a very long time, God was still going to use this man because there were strengths in him and he was going to allow him to recapture some of the land in Israel that Syria, Ben-Hadad, had taken away from Israel. And why is God going to use an ungodly man to do that, to restore Israel well, there was a covenant that God made, didn't he, to Abraham back in Genesis 15? It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. And God made a promise to Abraham, to his descendant Isaac, and then to Jacob. And he reiterated each, the same promise to each of them in their own time. And he said, your people are going to be like the sand of the seashore. They're going to have all of this land, and God spells out the borders for them. I'm going to give all of this to you, and I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And so, what is God doing here? He is keeping his promise to even a people who are governed by an ungodly man. God is going to still keep his promise to his people. That is a mind blower. Is that grace or not? That's grace, unmerited favor. That's what grace is. It means when I I don't deserve it, and yet God gives it to me anyway. That's exactly what's happening here. He had every right to just smoke Jeroboam and all of them because they never recovered from their idolatry. But he's being faithful to his promise that he made to their ancestors. And God will not and cannot lie. He will not go back on his promise. When he makes a promise in the Bible, you can take it to the bank and put it in your security deposit box because it's safe. The promises of God are irrevocable. The promises of God. My promises, not so much. I can make a promise and break my promise, but God's promises will never, ever fail. And it may seem dark and dismal, and you're thinking, well, Lord, I thought you said the gates of hell would not prevail against the church, but look at outside, look what they're saying on the news. It's looking really bad. And God's going, oh, I know. Do you want to know what the first century church went through? You've got it made, church in America. You've got it made compared to what I allowed them to go through. The horrible persecution that they went through. I was still with them. And guess what? The gates of hell did not prevail against them. Yes, many lost their lives to this demon-possessed man in Rome, Caesar. Yes, he put some of them to death. He chopped off, you know, Nero chopped, uh, you know, the apostle Paul's head clean off. But the gates of hell did not prevail. That's something to chew on, isn't it? (laughs) Because whenever I stub my toe, (laughs) I thought you said the gates of hell would not prevail, and I got a hangnail now. You know, he's like, oh Rob, you don't know. You never you don't understand. Don't worry, in time you will understand. And I'm like, oh. So verse 25, he restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath, which is in the north, to the Sea of Arabah, which is the Dead Sea. According to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, didn't I mention him as being a contemporary of Jeroboam, him along with Amos and Hosea? and evidently which the Lord had spoken through his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath Heifer. Now, you can search uh, Jonah, and you won't find this prophecy. So uh, th- there's evidently no record in the scripture of this, but it did happen. So we just don't have that record, and that's okay, because there, you know, God has a reason. For the Lord, verse 26, saw... Here it is. Notice the compassion and grace of God. He saw the affliction... Of Israel, he saw that it was very bitter, and whether bond or free, there was no helper for Israel. And the Lord did not say that He would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam the son of Joash. He did. He saved them, even though He didn't deserve, even though they didn't deserve it. He saved them in His grace. He is so gracious. Can I, raise your hand if God's been gracious to you. Yeah. He's been so good to us, and he's been good to his people, too, even when they could never deserve it. I mean, I could understand him being gracious with Judah, even in their fumbling and everything and their idolatry. I could see God, because of the promises he made to David in the Davidic covenant, I can see him going, oh, man, you really blew it. It's okay. Just pretend like it didn't happen. You know, wink at him, you know, it's, it's good. No. He blew the wheels off the cart and took them to Babylon. (laughs) That's what he did. He loved them, but he wasn't going to withdraw the chastening that was needed to get that out of them. And he does the same thing with you and I. Don't be afraid when God chastens you. You you think, oh, God hates me. He doesn't love me. No, he he loves you enough to not let you get away with it. Because if he continues to let you get away with it, you're going to burn yourself out and you're going to die. He wants you to live so when I'm messing up and I'm doing something in my life that I ought not to do and it's going to destroy me it's going to cause me to lose my family lose my job maybe even my health goes downhill because of wrong choices and sin issues and God tries to get in the way to keep me from destroying myself it's not because he wants to keep you from having fun no he wants you to live and he will chasten you and he knows exactly how to do it he knows the right amount of pressure to put on you to make you go uncle, to make you say uncle. He's done that with me. Has he done it to you too? He just, he's done something in your life and you're like, oh my, I sense God is doing something here. Oh Lord, thank you. What you, what you just allowed to happen in my life, it really hurt. But I know you don't hate me. You're trying to be like, you're trying to get in my way. I'm going to have to stumble over you to continue, and God gets in the way. Why? Because he loves. Why? Because he's gracious. Love that. Now, the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did, his might, how he made war, and how he captured uh, for Israel... From Damascus and Hamath and what had belonged to Judah, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And we don't have those scriptures, do we? Not, not, not the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. We have the Chronicles of the kings of Judah. That's what First and Second Chronicles is, but we don't know where those other books are. They were lost somewhere. But not really important because Judah is... Who comes from Judah? Jesus. We don't really need to worry about what happened in the history of Israel after the, at this point it's about Judah because Christ is going to come from Judah fulfilling all the prophecies going excuse me going all the way back to Genesis all throughout the scripture fulfilling everything it's all about Judah it's all about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and then the 12 sons Judah being the lawgiver and then going further on now Jesus Christ the savior of the world, the book of redemption. It's all about him. So Jeroboam rested with his fathers, the king of Israel. And then Zechariah, his son, reigned in his place. So thank you for uh, your patience tonight. I went a little longer. But praise the Lord. I don't know about you, but I I, I get so much out out of these Out of the history of this. Because I see so much of myself. I see so much of humanity all around me. And it just proves to me again that we are all the same. And left alone, apart from God, we are just rascals. We're just horrible. When people say to me, oh, you're inherently good. You were born, you know, you were inherently good. I'm like, oh my goodness. The Bible tells me that I I wasn't born inherently good. As soon as I was old enough to pick up a knife, I was chasing somebody with it, you know. As soon as I learned how to crawl, I was stealing something from somebody and, you know, and you know, you've seen kids, you know, before they even they've never seen their parents model this behavior. And now you get two little boys who they've never seen the mom and dad, you know, you understand what I'm saying in modeling? I'm going off here, just hang on. We're almost done. You know, two parents, you know, you've never seen like a, a, a mother and a father in front of these little toddlers, you know, fighting over a lollipop. You know, it's mine, it's mine. And, and yet the kids, what do they do? It's because it's built inside. It's, it's called sin. It's in there. And you don't have to teach them. <laughs> it's already in there. They'll fight and they'll kick and they'll be selfish. And they've never seen it from anybody else, chances are. That's why it's good for us to lead a good example, right? So be encouraged, and, and as we read these things, uh, learn, uh, learn a lot from it, and, and see the grace of God, how loving He is. His truth, he, He's very truthful, and He chastens those whom He loves, and those who spurn His overtures of, of trying to get them back, you, spur, you spurn it long enough, and you'll reap from that, and it's never good. It's never good. Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for the examples and the, the truth of your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you would get us uh, all home safely tonight, Lord. Especially our brother out in Buffalo, uh, in that area, Lord. And just encourage all of us tonight, Lord, just with the weather and and thank you for uh, loving us, Lord. Lord, thank you for showing us and being so kind. Lord, to us, and um, even when we have proven ourselves to be rascals, Lord, even as Christians, Lord, thank you for loving us with an everlasting love and never, Lord, wanting to crush us. Lord, you chasten us, but you don't crush us. There's a big difference because you're always trying to draw us back. And Lord, other people would just write us off. The world will write us off because of what we've done wrong. But Lord, you're always, you'll punish us. But you'll always do it with instruction in mind to bring us back to you. That's how good you are. And we exalt you. And we thank you for your goodness toward us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great night.
0: That's the end of our lesson for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 2 Kings. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140.